following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Tonight, I specifically want to speak to the church, to those who are believers. Amen? That's the message that the Lord has laid upon my heart uh, tonight. But if you're here tonight and you're not saved, believe me, there'll be an invitation and you'll have an opportunity to give your life to Jesus tonight. Amen? I promise you that. Well, if you're ready to get in the Word of God tonight, say amen. All right. Take your Bible tonight and turn to the book of the Revelation. The book of Revelation chapter 3. It always bothers me when I hear people say, I love the book of Revelations. And I always say, well, where is that book at? Because it's not in my Bible. There's the book of Revelation, but there's not Revelations. Amen? It is the book of Revelation. So turn to Revelation chapter 3 tonight. And we're going to uh, begin reading about verse 14 and just go down to the end uh, of the chapter tonight. And so when you find that, would you please stand with me to honor and reverence the reading of God's holy word. Look what he says beginning at verse 14. And we're talking about revival and we're in a revival this week and uh, I, I believe the Lord wants to speak to our hearts about that tonight through this passage of scripture. It says in verse 14, unto the angel, and that word angel means messenger, of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, that's talking about the Lord Jesus, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, and I would that thou were cold or hot. And so then, because thou art lukewarm, anybody know what it is to be lukewarm as a Christian? Come on now, let's be honest. Amen. We have revival if we get honest. And neither cold nor hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. And because thou sayest, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing. But you know not that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. White raiment that thou may be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear. And anoint thy eyes with eyesalve that thou may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, in what, church? What does he say? Repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I have overcome and sat down with my father in his throne. Then look at verse 22. He that has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says unto who? Unto the church, unto the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we praise you tonight. Lord, we just thank you so much for the wonderful crowd tonight, for every single person that's here. I thank you for the sweet, sweet spirit that I sense in this place tonight and for the joy that I see on so many faces. And Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. And Father, I've prayed and I've seeked your face about this message and I believe this is a message you want me to bring tonight. And Father, probably every person in this building has heard a sermon on this passage of scripture at least one time in their life, if not several times. Lord, I'm sure the pastor has preached on this passage of scripture. So Lord, I pray tonight you would use this to speak to us in a fresh way. 
And Father, I pray for every born-again believer in here tonight that we would take a close look at our hearts and we'd examine our hearts and we'd examine our relationship and our walk with you. And Lord, that we might draw closer to you tonight and experience personal revival in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight that's not saved, that's never been born again, and they don't have assurance of heaven and eternal life. I pray for the Spirit of God to convict them and draw them, and they would see their need to surrender their lives to Christ tonight before it's everlastingly too late. So, Father, our prayer tonight is that you'll save the lost. Our prayer is that you'll send revival to the saved, to the church, and that Christ will be honored and glorified, and we'll give you the glory and praise for it. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, I love these seven letters to the seven churches uh, in ancient Asia Minor, which are found in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now, there's three ways that you can look at these letters to those seven churches. For instance, you can look at them historically because they were literally seven congregations of believers back in the first century in Asia Minor. So you can look at them from a historical perspective. A second way you can look at these seven letters to the churches is that you can look at them prophetically. I believe that all seven of the churches are also symbolic of seven time periods in church history. From the beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts until the church is taken up and removed from this earth, I believe very soon when Jesus comes in the rapture. Amen? So you can look at them prophetically. But then you can also look at these seven churches personally. And what I mean by that is that you and I can make personal and practical application to our own individual lives and to our own churches in the day and time in which we live. You know, if you look around, you see some of the attributes of all seven of these churches in all of our churches today. Amen? You see some of the attributes of those. Well, the church at Laodicea, the church we're going to look at tonight, is the last church that the Lord addresses. And I believe it best represents where many Christians and where many churches are today in the 21st century. They had drifted into lukewarmness. They had drifted into mediocrity. They were no longer on fire for God. Uh, they, they weren't hot. But on the other hand, they, they weren't cold either. But they were just kind of in the middle of the road. They, Jesus said they were lukewarm. If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. amen. They were no longer on fire for the Lord. Uh, the, the, the thrill had gone. The, the zeal was gone. The fire was gone. They, their joy was gone. And they were just kind of coasting along in the Christian life. They loved Jesus. They were saved. They knew Jesus. But their, their hearts weren't right with God. They needed revival. Amen? They had drifted away from the Lord. Now, a lot of times when we think about a Christian needing revival, we think about somebody that's fallen out of church and they've gotten out in the world and they're living for the world and committing all kind of terrible sins. Well, if a Christian does that, he or she certainly does need revival. But most of the time, when we're talking about revival, these are people who are faithful. They go to church every week. They read their Bibles. They pray. But there's just something in their heart that has shifted and they've drifted. And they're not as close to the Lord 
as they once were. And if that's you tonight, I know what it is to be there, then you need revival in your heart. Amen? So tonight, I want us to consider some things as we think about when you lose your fire. When you lose your fire and you become lukewarm in your walk and your relationship with the Lord. What can you do? Well, I'm going to show you what you can do tonight, but let's think about a couple things. First of all, let's think about the characteristics of lukewarmness. The characteristics, we see that demonstrated in this church right here. Again, go back to verse 14 with me, if you will. He says, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now look at verse 15. He says, I know your works. Does Jesus know our works? He just says that he did. And he says, I know that you're neither cold nor hot, and I would or I wish that you were cold or hot. Now, let me give you a little bit of background behind this church because it will help you understand why the type of wording is used in these verses, all right? Uh, this church, back, back in its day in the first century, Laodicea, was located in a very wealthy area, and it was known for its commerce. It was known for its trading and for its banking. The city was located about 40 miles from Ephesus, another church in the Bible, down in a valley, about 40 miles from Ephesus, down in a valley, in between two mountains. And they were also known, not only for their banking and all their financing, they were known for an expensive cloth. Now, I want you to remember this in a moment. It's going to be important. That was manufactured there, and it was shipped all over the world. They had a famous medical school there that was known for an eye salve that they invented that cured eye infections and sometimes even blindness. They were the financial center of the world at that time. The only drawback to Laodicea was their water supply. You see, their water had to be piped in from way over the mountain. And by the time it went, it, when it left the top of the mountain, it was ice cold. By the time it got down into the valley and got to the city of Laodicea, the water was no longer cold. The water was what? It was lukewarm. And that's the symbolism here that the Lord Jesus is using to get their attention. They had lukewarm water. And so here in the midst of a very striving, very wealthy, very boastful city was a church, a congregation of believers. And the Lord Jesus took notice, and he had something to say to that church, and I believe it's a word for us in the 21st century American church today. And he points out some characteristics that shows what their problem was. What are they? Well, first of all, he points out their complacency, spiritual complacency. We saw that in verse 15. He said, I know that you're neither cold nor hot. He said, but you're, you're just lukewarm in verse 16. You see, Jesus was looking at their heart. He was looking at their spiritual condition and their relationship with him. And, and, and he says, hey, he said, you're just, you're just kind of lukewarm. In other words, kind of self-satisfied. No real passion uh, for, for God or for the things of God. Just kind of comfortable, just kind of coasting uh, along and complacent. Amen? Folks, we are living in desperate days in 21st century America. Amen? 
In fact, if we don't have a great awakening in this nation, I don't believe this nation will last much longer. I don't believe it will survive. That's the only thing that will make this nation survive. Amen? But before there can be a great awakening, there's got to be a revival, and revival's got to take place in the church. It's got to take place among God's people. And so we're living in desperate times, but hear me, friends, for the most part, the church in America isn't desperate. We're not desperate. And friend, we're content with the way things are while most of the world dies and goes to hell. And friends, it's an insult to be called lukewarm. Amen. If you're a Christian, it is. It's an insult to be called lukewarm. And Jesus puts his finger on their palm. He said, hey, you guys down there in Laodicea? He said, I know all about you. And he said, I see all the stuff you do, but I also see why you do it. And I see the intentions of your heart. And I'm telling you, you are lukewarm. Amen? They needed revival. They needed a revival. And you know, if you think about it, lukewarmness is not good in anything. I mean, really. Uh, when I go to my doctor and I get a, I get an examination, I don't want him to be lukewarm if he finds something wrong. I don't want him to beat around the bush, be lukewarm about, t- I want him to shoot straight with me and tell me. Amen? I want him to tell me. When, hey, listen, in the morning when I'm drinking my dark roast, Louisiana community coffee. Can somebody, somebody say amen about that? Come on. Well, I may be an Arkansas boy, but I know good coffee when I see it. Amen. And when I'm drinking that good old community coffee, I'm going to tell you, it better be scalding hot. And the moment it gets lukewarm, I pour it out. I don't, I, my wife says, you never finish a cup of coffee. I said, no, because it gets lukewarm. I don't like it. Amen. I want it to be Hot. If somebody were to break in my house in the middle of the night, God forbid, I've never had that happen, and I pray I never do, and I pray you never do, but if somebody's to break in my house in the middle of the night with intentions of harming my wife or harming myself, I promise you I'm not going to be lukewarm about how I deal with that. I'll probably exercise my Second Amendment right. Hallelujah. Amen? I'm not going to be lukewarm about it. I'm going to deal with it as I need to deal with it. Well, friend, as a believer, I sure don't want to be lukewarm in my walk, in my relationship with the Lord. I know what it is to be lukewarm. Amen? And if you've been saved for any amount of time, you know what it is as well. And I don't want to be a part of a church that's lukewarm. Amen? That's just an old, comfortable church. Vance Havner was a, was a tremendous uh, evangelist back uh, in the last century. And he said, he said this one time, he said, a comfortable church will never experience revival. Isn't that good? This church at Laodicea, you know, their problem was they were comfortable. (laughs) And the Lord points that out to them. He points out their complacency. A comfortable church will not have revival. And so when he said, you are lukewarm, remember what I said about the water supply? They knew exactly what the Lord was talking about. They knew exactly what he was saying. And and what he was really saying to them was this. He's saying, church, you make me sick. He said, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Amen? And friends, casual Christianity is sickening to the Lord Jesus. When you think about all that he suffered and what he died for on on the cross and for us to just be casual about him, I want to tell you, that's sickening. To the Lord. Amen? 
He said, I don't want you to be lukewarm. Oh, Leonard Ravenhill was an evangelist, really a revivalist years ago, and he said this. He said, if you're content to live without revival, then you will. Now, I'm not talking about a revival meeting. We need revival meetings. These churches done away with revival meetings today need to wake up. Amen? How foolish. Same people says, we need revival, we need revival, and they won't even have a revival meeting. We need revival meetings, but I'm not talking about just a revival meeting. I'm talking about revival. Amen? When God shows up in our life and rearranges our life and we fall in love with Jesus all over again. That's what I'm talking about. You see, lost people need evangelism. They, they need to hear how to be saved. Amen? And, and, and re- Christians need revival. And revival and evangelism go hand in hand. We need both those things. We need revival. We need evangelism. Amen? And so he's telling the church here, you need revival. You're lukewarm. And that's the problem with many Christians today. That's the problem with many churches today. Some Listen, some churches start at 11 o'clock sharp and they close their service at 12 o'clock dull every Sunday. Huh? I mean, it's predictable. You set your watch by it. Amen? God forbid if the Holy Spirit does something and they have to go over a minute or so. Amen? Oh, bless God, it's not in the bulletin. Throw that bulletin away. Amen? Let's do what God says to do. I heard about a church one time that had a guy had a heart attack and he died in the service. And they called the EMTs and they came in. Man, they rushed down and, and, and they carried out 12 guys before they got the right one. Amen? That, that, that's dead, isn't it? As Jerry Clower said, that's graveyard dead. Amen. And, uh, but friends, what's happened, and it's so easy to do, we can drift into spiritual complacency. Listen, I don't think any Christian gets up one morning and says, you know what? I think I'm just going to be lukewarm today. I'm just going to drift off in the mediocrity and I'm just going to be a lukewarm Christian. No, we don't ever set out to do that. It happens over a period of time because we let down our guard and we drift in the lukewarmness maybe without even knowing it. Amen? That's how it happens. That's how it happens. And when that happens, what do we need? We need revival. We need a fresh touch from God in our heart and life. So, friend, I ask you, have you grown complacent in your walk with the Lord. Then a second thing he points out to them that will show you whether you're lukewarm or not is he tells them they're conceited. You say, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 17. Look Look at this. He says, because you say I am rich. Now, remember what I told you about the town, the city, and their manufacturing plants and all that stuff? Remember what I told you? He said, because you say I'm rich, I'm increased with goods. Boy, you ought to underline this in your Bible. And have need of nothing. Mm. And knoweth not. He said, you don't even realize what you really are. Now he's talking about their spiritual condition. That you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, they had a different opinion of themselves than the Lord had. Amen? In fact, they didn't even think there was a problem. And they sure didn't think that the problem was them. 
And they were, that means they were spiritually conceited. And friends, may I tell you tonight, as a traveling evangelist that preaches in, in lots of different churches every single year all across this country, you know what I see so much, so much of? Uh, I, friend, there, this is very, very common. So many believers, so many churches have drifted off in complacency and they're conceited about it. Amen? And that was the problem at Laodicea. And most churches in America will probably never experience real revival. I want to tell you why. Because they don't think they need revival. I was preaching at a, at a fairly good-sized church in Illinois a few years ago. And uh, I asked a question. And I said, how many of you here tonight would say you need revival? Not one hand went up, Brother Tracy. Not one hand. And I thought, man, they must not have heard me. And so I said again, I said, how many of you here tonight would say that you need revival? You need a fresh touch? Not one hand went up. And I finally said it a third time. And then there were a few people kind of did this, you know. And, and put it up, and I thought, and I thought, well, we're not going to have revival, and we didn't, amen, because nobody'd get real, nobody'd get honest, and friends, Baptists have got to learn to get real and get honest, and just admit where we really are, because the Lord already, uh, he he already knows. And, and your average Christian today, your average congregation of believers today, is just like Laodicea. They say, well, we're in need of nothing. I mean, hey, as long as the attendance is decent, as long as the offerings are good and the bills are being paid, you know, hey, it doesn't matter. We haven't seen a move of God in, in years. It doesn't matter that our community's dying and going to hell. It doesn't matter that we're losing our teenagers to drug and sex and the devil worship. And it, 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 it just doesn't matter. Jesus said, you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm. See, they're conceited about it. You know, I've been to some churches before when I've gone to some of their prayer meetings. And boy, sometimes that's a wonderful experience. But I've been to some that weren't such wonderful experience. Your average church today, you know what their prayer meeting is? They'll take requests for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and then they'll pray maybe two minutes. That's not a prayer meeting. Amen? That's not, that's, that's not a prayer meeting. And I, I remember one time I was in a revival, Brother Tracy, and the pastor said, oh, by the way, Monday morning we have a men's prayer meeting at 7 a.m. Boy, I sure got excited about that. Amen? I like to save my mornings for my prayer time, just me and the Lord. But I said, okay, I'll, I'll come. Didn't really want to. I'm just telling you. But I said, I'll be there. And I went, and it was just what I expected. We sat in that room. We talked about Arkansas Razorback football for 55 minutes. I'm serious. And then finally somebody said, well, it's almost 8 o'clock. We need to go. I guess somebody ought to pray and wrap this thing up. And I'm thinking, yeah, that'd be a good idea. And finally somebody closed with a little generic prayer that probably didn't even go above the ceiling. And we said, amen. We had a prayer meeting. I'm going to tell you, I left that, went back to my hotel room, and I said, God, what a waste of time. Amen. You see, that's lukewarmness. It's, it, 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 it's lukewarmness. And friend, we don't pray because we don't think we're in need of anything. When's the last time you were in a prayer meeting where people started weeping 
And they said, hey, pray for my boy. He's lost and he's going to hell. Pray for my daughter. She's lost. Pray for my grandkids. They're lost. No, what we hear are the temporary things. Pray for Aunt Susie's ingrown toenail. But we don't hear about things that really matter. Amen? And that's the condition for the most part of the church today in America. And that's why we're not experiencing revival. So Jesus looks past all these outward things that Laodicea has. And he looks at their heart. And I think he says this. These are my words. He says, you think you're hot stuff. But you're really not hot at all. You're just lukewarm. Amen? Well, there's, here's another thing. Here's another characteristic of lukewarmness, and that's contentment. You know, contentment, can, there's a good side of contentment, being content in the Lord. Amen? There's a good side of contentment. The Bible says having food and raiment, let us be content. But there's a bad side of contentment, and that, that, that is if you're not right with the Lord and your heart has drifted from him and, and, and you're not on fire for him anymore, you don't want to be content living that way, Right? Because look what he says back at verse 17 again. He says, because thou saith. You see, they were content with the way things were and the way they were. And friend, I believe today in America, we've lived without revival for so long that most people don't miss it, don't long for it. Most Christians today, my age and younger, hey, they listen, they haven't experienced a real move of God for so long, they think it's just normal. In fact, they wouldn't know it if they seen it. Amen? And you say, well, preacher, you know, we've had all this COVID and stuff. I'll sure be glad when we get back to normal. Man, I want to tell you something. We don't want to get back to normal. We can't do it. Listen, the world doesn't need a church that gets back to normal. The world needs a church that's on fire for God. Amen? And friend, we can't, the only normal we need to get back to is first century book of Acts normal. That'd be okay. A reporter interviewed Billy Graham one time after one of his crusades, and man, he'd preached a good old hellfire and brimstone message on hell that night, and, and this reporter pulled him off the side and would kind of ridicule him, and she said, she said, you know, you're trying to set the church back a hundred years, Mr. Graham. And he had old, you know, Mr. Gr- Billy Graham was so humble, and Billy Graham said, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm not trying to ch- set the church back a hundred years. I'm trying to set it back 2,000 years. Hundred years, not far enough. Amen. Go back two thousand years ago, friend. What about you? Do you long for a fresh work of God in your heart and life tonight? Do you really want revival? Do you really want revival? Are, are, are you willing to pay the price? Amen. Do you long for that in your heart, in your life, in your family's life, in your community, in your church, in your nation? You say, man, I really do. Well, we're going to have to if we're going to see it. You say, well, what can I do? Well, that brings me to my final point, and that's the cure. We've talked about characteristics of lukewarmness. Now let's think about the cure for lukewarmness, all right? Is there any hope for a lukewarm Christian? Is there any hope for a Christian that's backslidden and gotten out of the will of God? Is there any hope for a lukewarm church? And the answer is yes. And the Lord gives it to us in just a few words. Look at verse 18. He says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. Now remember, they had all kind of gold and money. 
But gold, bite, and fire that you may be rich. They thought they were rich. White raiment that you might be clothed. Remember, they had a, a cloth manufacturing plant there. And that the shame of thy nakedness not appear. And anoint thy eyes with eye salve. Remember, they had a medical school there that made eyes That you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So what do we do? What is to cure? Let me just give you a few things and we'll, we'll wrap it up. First of all, you got to realize. He said, I counsel thee. I counsel you. In other words, the Lord is saying, hey, take a deep look into your heart. Take a deep look at your spiritual life. Examine your walk and your relationship with me. That's what he's saying. He's saying be honest about it. Where are you with the Lord right now? Friend, you can't fix that problem till you admit you have one. Amen? You say, well, preacher, there was a time. I know there was a time in my life as a Christian when I walked closer to the Lord than I am right now. Well, that's a good place to start. You know what? Then that means you need revival. Need revival. You need the fire of God to fall up on your life. Amen? You need a fresh touch from God. And friend, I've been there many, many times. And I know when my heart is drifting. I know when there's been a shift. I, I, I know when I'm not as close to God as I once was. Amen? And so he gives us a cure. He said, you need to realize that. And friends, he says here, he said... Buy gold from me refined in the fire. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, that refers to something that is costly and valuable. Gold refined in the fire. Think about that. He's talking about your faith. I think he's saying examine your heart and your life. Make sure your faith is genuine. Make sure, it's, make sure make, first of all, make sure you're really saved. That's what he's saying. Amen? Make sure you're really saved. Because listen, friend, if you're not saved, you don't need revival. Revival won't do you a bit of good. Revival, in fact, you can't, you're not capable of experiencing revival if you're not saved. If you're not saved, you need salvation. You need Jesus. Amen? And it's the saved that need revival. So he's saying examine your faith. Make sure that it's real. Make sure you're really saved. You know, the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. It says, check your heart out. Make sure you're absolutely certain that you're saved. You say, well, I, I'm pretty sure I am, preacher. I, I think that I am. Then you're probably not. Friend, you can't meet the living Savior and have him step into your heart and step into your life and you not know it. Amen? When you have an encounter with the living Jesus, you'll know. And you need to know that you know that you know. All right. So make sure your faith is real. Then look what else he says. For for your nakedness, what's the what's the solution? White raiment. You say, what's that? That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Christ. The listen. The moment a person places their faith in Jesus Christ and trusts Him to be their Lord and Savior, not only are you forgiven of all your sins, but you get a righteous standing before God. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? That's enough to make even the Baptist shout. Amen? Huh? I mean, you're clothed in his righteousness. It's not about your righteousness or my righteousness. It's about his. And then he says, anoint your eyes that you may see. What's he mean by that? Well, what I think he means is he's saying you need to wake up. 
See your true spiritual condition. Admit your true spiritual condition. And I think that's referring to the convicting and the work of the Holy Spirit in our in our lives. Uh, let him fill you. Let him take control of your life on a daily basis so you can walk with him. One of my prayers that I pray every day, and I don't always live up to this, but I pray every morning in my in my prayer time alone with the Lord, Lord, I, I want the Holy Spirit to fill me and take control. I yield control of my life to him this morning, and I pray that my life, I pray that my attitude, I pray that my conversations, I pray the way I treat my wife, the way I treat others, everything I do today will reflect Jesus Christ living in me. Amen? The moment it doesn't, something's wrong. I want Christ to be reflected that he lives in me. So let him feel you take control. There's a second thing. Not only do we need to realize, we need to repent. You see, Christians need to repent as well as lost people. If you're not saved, you've got to repent and turn from your sin and turn to Christ to be saved, right? There's no salvation without repentance. It cannot happen without repentance. But for a believer, we need, we need to repent and we need to repent often. Often. And that means to turn away, realize what our problem is, right? Confess your sins to God. First John 1 9 says what? If you, talking to believers, that's not a mess, that, that's not a verse for lost people, that's for believers. He said, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of your sins. And that's talking about how a believer stays in fellowship with God. Some, a chapter I read practically every day in my life is Psalms 51. And that's David's prayer of confession and repentance. And I, I, I pray through that almost every day because I want to have a clean heart. In Psalms 51.10, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Isn't that good? It's a good prayer to pray. Every day. When's the last time you got alone with God and just confessed your sins? Man, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something good to do. Sit down someday, just you and God, get you out, get you out an ink pen, get you some paper and get a lot of it, and you write down every sin you can think of in your life and write it down on that paper and then confess it to God and then tear up that paper and throw it away and claim His cleansing. Amen? Because sin comes into our life as a believer. And we ought to be walking so close to the Lord that we recognize it and see it right then and we confess it, but we don't always do that. And so we need to get our sins confessed up to date. Surrender your heart and your life afresh every day to the Lordship of Christ. What did Jesus say in Luke 9, 23? He said, let everyone deny himself, take up his cross. How often? Daily. And follow me. That's what he said to do. And so surrender. Be zealous. Jesus, did you see the language here? He says, be zealous, therefore, verse 19, and repent. In other words, when he uses that word zealous, what he means by that is you get to it right now. <laughs> Don't mess around. I mean right now, this moment. He's saying, repent. Confess your sins. Confess your lukewarmness. And when he says zealous, that means to the point of being on fire. But what if we don't? Well, then be prepared to bear the consequences. Besides of being out of fellowship with God, besides of, of not experiencing him in his fullness and, and not walking with him, friend, uh, you, you could invite the chastening of the Lord into your life. He says down here in verse 19, as many as I love, 
He said, I rebuke and I chasten. That word chasten means to discipline. It means to child train. Sometimes I'll go in Walmart and, and somebody, some young lady, she's got four or five little screaming Indians, uh, uh, little kids, amen? And they're carrying on, and she said, if you don't stop that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whip you or whatever. And she'll say that about ten times because they know she isn't going to do nothing. She ain't gonna do nothing. They know that, so they're just gonna keep doing it. And I want to, I want to walk up here and raise my hand and say, I volunteer. <laughs> ma'am, I know, listen, ma'am, I'm not being disrespectful, but I know you're not gonna do nothing, so why don't you let me handle it? And when I'm done, I promise you, they will behave. Amen? But no, I don't do that. You know why I don't do that? They're not my kids. They're not my kids. And the Lord says here, he said, I, he, he said, he said, I chasten those I love. He, about his own children. I have a whole message on that about the chastening of the Lord. And I'm telling you, friends, that's, uh, you, you get out of line and stay out of line and backslide on God and stay out of fellowship with God. You, you're, you're the one that loses out. But you could get in a position where you invite the chastening, the disciplined hand of God. Upon your life. Why would he do that? Because he hates you? No, because he loves you. Just like a father loves his children. And he, he wants you to draw close to him. And sometimes he may have to turn up the heat in order to get your attention. Amen? So repent. Need to repent. What the second Chronicles, uh, the, ver- the verse that we use so much, uh, for revival say, I mean, it's the most popular verse in the whole Bible. Uh, on revival, 714, and you really need to take 13 with it and everything, but in, in verse 14, he said, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, see, if we're going to have revival, it starts with humility, starts with a humble heart. Man, it's hard to get Baptists to humble themselves. If we'll humble ourselves, pray, he says, seek my face, that's all that has to do with prayer, and turn from their wicked ways, that's repentance. He said, then, I'll hear from heaven. He said, and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal the land. Does our land need healed tonight? If anybody doesn't think so, you're not living on the same planet I am. Amen? Our land is sick. And it desperately needs healing. And only the healing it needs is going to have to come from God. Amen? He says right here. He says, gotta start with my people. You say, yeah, that's right. Man, the way they live out there in the world, they just need to shape up and get right. He's talking, he's talking to believers. He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. And that brings me to the last deal about this, and that's revival. We realize, we repent, and then what's the result? Revival. Who wants revival? Amen. Go back and let's finish this. Revelation 3, verse 20. Most of you know this verse. I've preached on it many times myself. Have have a sermon on it. So he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. That's a promise. He said, hey, when you get things right with me and you draw close to me, he said, I'm, I'm standing at the door. He said, I'm knocking, but you're going to have to open the door. 
Amen? Salvation-wise, salvation-wise, we've got to open the door of our heart and invite Christ into our life by faith to be saved. Amen? In particular here, he's talking about fellowship as well. With fellowship, he says, hey, I'm, I'm standing outside the door, and I'm knocking. He said, I want to fellowship with you. And look at verse 21. To him that overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I've overcome and set down my father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. You see, friends, listen. When one believer repents and gets right, that believer will experience revival. You get two or three believers that repent and get right, humble themselves, they'll experience revival. Four or five, six or seven, ten or twelve, twenty or thirty, fifty or a hundred. It starts with one, there's a spark here, there's a spark there, there's a spark here. It starts with one, it may be another one. And listen, I can have revival tonight whether anybody else in this building does or not. In fact, I'm having it right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you can have revival whether anybody else does or not. But you know what can happen and what needs to happen? For that revival to spread and for a whole church to experience revival and break out in revival. If you go back and read about the first and second great awakenings, they all started with a small group, usually in a prayer meeting. They all were in a prayer meeting. In fact, that's how they started. Just a handful that got a burden for revival and started praying for our nation and for God to do something. And they were praying for the churches because the churches were in such sad shape. And God, the Spirit of God, began to blow. And he sent revival. And it came to the churches and hundreds of thousands of people got converted and got saved in a very short time. You know why? Because God's people got right. God's people got right. And God worked. And he moved. Charles Finney was an evangelist back a long time ago and he said this. He said, revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. I've already said this, but it's worth repeating. Our nation needs an awakening. We haven't had a great awakening in over 100 years in America. There hasn't been. There's been some pockets here and there of revivals. There has been some pockets and some mercy drops falling here and there, and we're thankful for that. But there there hasn't been a real revival in over 100 years in America. A real revival will change the course of the nation. It'll change the morality of a nation. Hello? It, 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 it'll change everything. Back in those days during the first, second great awakenings, hey, bars, and they called them saloons back then, they got shut down. They didn't have any customers. Amen? And on and on we could go. Because God's people got right, and then so many people got converted and got saved. So, friend, where are you right now? Does your walk with the, with the Lord right now describe Laodicea? Are you just kind of lukewarm, just kind of coasting along? I mean, you know you're saved, and you, you, that, that doesn't mean you don't love the Lord. You, you love the Lord, but you know, you know you're not as close to the Lord as you once were. You know there's been a drift. 
and you need to return to him. And here's what happened. If you don't do something about that soon, you'll start allowing things into your life you wouldn't normally allow. There'll be attitudes that, that, you, that you know is not of the Lord you don't need in your life. And, 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 and you'll lose your joy. Boy, it's a serious thing when a Christian loses their joy. I've been there. I know what it's like. Christian lose it's sad, sad thing. The best advertisement we have as believers is the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is. You lose your joy. You lose your witness. You're not as effective for the Lord as you once were. That's why Jesus addresses that. Here he says, you're lukewarm. I'll spew you out of mouth. So where are you tonight? I want to close with this illustration. I heard about a church one time in a small town that called on fire. I'm talking about the building literally called on fire, and it burnt to the ground. By the time the fire department got there, it was too late. They couldn't. They just had to let it burn, okay? And so everybody in town was standing there watching this church burn to the ground. And all the church members were there, and the town atheist showed up. And he's standing there, has his hands in his pockets, and he's watching this church burn down. One of the deacons of the church saw him over there. And he thought, hmm, here's an opportunity. And he walked over to that atheist, and the deacon said, well, he said, I never thought I'd see you at church. (laughs) And that atheist looked at him, he said, I've never seen a church on fire. You know what the world, you know what they need to see in America? They've got to see the church on fire. They've got to see some believers on fire. And until they do, they're saying, we don't want what you have. Amen? We don't want it. That's what they need to see. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to do the invitation a little differently tonight than we normally would. I I talked to Brother Robbie about this before the service because I kind of thought the Lord might lead me this direction. I'm trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And rather than all of us singing tonight, I'm not going to ask that you sing because it's easy to hide behind a hymn book or behind a screen. Nothing wrong with that unless you are hiding but we need we need to do some altar time tonight, and we we're here for a revival meeting, and I believe most people in this building want real revival and desire it. And I'll tell you what I believe God wants to send it. I believe He does. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.